Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sexless in the City podcast brought to you by F Your Fears Films. You guys, we still have Rick Younger on the show. He sat down with us recently and we had a wonderful conversation. We talked about so many things. It was a supersized episode, so we decided to split it up into two parts. So here is part two of our chat with Rick Younger. Um, so Rick, I, I talked a lot about the roles, like, you know, and the difference of the roles of like automatically thinking like, Hey, um, you know, I'm not scary enough to be a thug or, Oh, it was noticed when I got to be the boss of white people, like as an, you know, as a black man and having a black son, like, what is it? I mean, the quarantine's one thing, but what is this, the experience of, you know, George Floyd's death and all of the unrest that we've seen in the city and the protests. How has that been for you? Well, the thing is, is that I am glad that some people, it seems like some people have finally had something that's finally made them open their eyes. Uh, it's a little mm-hmm. upsetting that it's taken some people this long, but hey, mm-hmm. however long it takes you, I'm glad people are listening. I hope people are ready for the long haul because mm-hmm. it's like, I see a few cracks, like when you see people like one of the cracks I saw recently was there was a um, L.A. Times article, a black editor um, posted in a Facebook group of, you know, black, uh, not a Facebook group of of industry professionals, not black industry professionals, but a a a. overall industry professional Facebook group that he was looking for black union editors. And Mm -hmm. basically what he was saying is that, look, I've been doing this for 20 years and usually I'm the only black person on the set. He's like, so he's like, he's like, that's 20 years where the room has not changed. And Mm -hmm. he's like, and since I usually wind up being the only black person, I don't meet a lot of black editors, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's like, I'm trying to kind of get a list so that when, when opportunities mm-hmm. come, I can refer my friends or refer, you know, refer other black editors. And yeah. there were white, uh, white people in the group who were like, this is reverse racism. And, and it's like, you know, mm, no, it's, not. it's like, <laughs> All he asked for was a list. He didn't say, I, from now on, I am going to only use black people and down with whitey. He didn't say anything against white yeah. people. And it's like, if you can look at how America is and say that we have a level playing field for everyone, then you're obviously saying that white men are better than everyone else. If every industry you look at and it's like 90% of CEOs are white men. If you look at yep. 90% of directors of films are white men. And, and, mm-hmm. and you get upset whenever anybody talks about giving opportunities to other people. You always want to come back with whatever happened to getting the best person for the job. And you're, so you're saying your automatic assumption is that the best person for the job is always a white man. And it's like you can't base it on experience because obviously the way the things have been set up, those are the people who are getting the most experience. Yeah, for sure. So it's like something has to be done because people Mm -hmm. keep booking the people who've already done the job before and the people that are their friends. And if Mm -hmm. you are like that black guy who was an editor said, I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm almost always the only black person. So it's like. How does how does anybody get to have friends who don't look like them if the yeah. room looks the same all the time? Totally. So with people after only a couple of weeks still haven't got to a point where they're like, OK, something needs to be done or there's something wrong with the system or the fear that if if fair chances are given to everyone, I'm going to be out of work. It's yeah, I definitely that. think that there's just fear. There's just fear coming from people of, well, wait a minute. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for – and that's just like – one word. That's just selfish. Like yeah. it's just super selfish and it's it's also just super ignorant to not yeah. like be honest about yeah. the situation. Yeah. You know? Like well, it just seems- – See, and the thing is is that 
it's for people who are just getting to the party to realize that, hey, these experiences are things that black people deal with every day. To Mm -hmm. be someone, I have never been to jail. I've never been arrested. Mm -hmm. But I still have a fear that one incident with the wrong cop could Mm -hmm. totally railroad and up in my life, Mm -hmm. either to bring it to an end or I will end up in jail, whether, you know, whether falsely accused or whether just one mistake where I'm not given a second chance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you asked the question about uh, having a black son. I want people to also be aware that it's not just having a black son. Sandra Bland, Breonna, you know, Taylor. Yeah. It's like it's being black, period. Yeah. It's being yeah. being anything other than a white male. And and of course mm-hmm. white men don't want to hear it. But it's just like it's just like with anything. Like when people speak against a demographic, they're not saying every last single one is awful. But also mm-hmm. when you deal with racism, it's not about whether you're good or bad. Racism is not a it, people get have racial prejudice and discrimination mixed up with the whole concept of racism. Racism is that system that's built on white supremacy that was designed by white men to make sure that white men were in charge. Yeah. Everybody in the room who signed the Declaration of Independence was a white man. Women weren't allowed. Black people weren't allowed. Native Americans mm-hmm. weren't allowed. It's like mm-hmm. if we were as black people, we were three fifths of a person. So, so you're saying that it takes five of us to be three of you guys. It's like if that's the foundation we were built on, mm-hmm. and we've never done anything to change the foundation. That's why the policing system is what it is, because police were yeah. founded as slave catchers and mm-hmm. as people to to enforce when the 13th Amendment came to basically re-slave people who were free. Mm-hmm. And it's like these are things that people have to this is the stuff that has to be unpacked. And this is hundreds of years. And this is stuff that black people deal with on a daily basis. And some people are having a hard time reading the stories. And if you're having a hard time reading the stories, imagine what it's like to live the experience and then to decide that if I'm going to be a true ally, I have to be down with this every day. I can't get get to the point where I get that sigh. You know, that sigh you get where you're like, oh, why are they talking about it again? But, you know, (laughs) no matter who it is that's talking about it, that gets on your nerves, that sigh. And a lot of people have that sigh when black people talk about stuff. But if it's happening all over the country. It, with police, mm-hmm. police, police for different cities. If it's, it's happening in Minneapolis and it's happening in Baltimore and it's happening in New York and it's happening in Florida and Georgia. And it's like, do you think black people got together, had a meeting and decided this is the agenda we're going to push? This is what we're going to say. We're going to keep saying we were unarmed. And we, but, you know, it's no, it's like it's happening because the system is messed up. The thing that I find so beguiling is that if this were reversed and this were, let's say that slavery had happened to white people, Mm -hmm. people, people don't ever think that way. They don't ever think, well, what if this had been flipped? How would I feel? And I think that that's something that people just need to think of. And I I know that I struggle with that with with family members Mm -hmm. that are, you know, coming from the South. There are a lot of people that are like, well, I think that it's just the liberals that just want to make a big thing of it. And so they're 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 pumping this up. They're the ones behind all of this. So I thought about I've really been doing a lot of reflection over Mm -hmm. the past you know, a few weeks. And one of the things that it's a couple of things, because I'm a a friend of mine that's a a black woman and she's 60, grew Mm -hmm. up in the South. And she was saying, you know, the civil rights movement never would have worked until the white people Mm -hmm. got on board and stood up Mm -hmm. and spoke out for us. And she was like, and when she said that to me, like, Mm -hmm. it like hit me like in my soul because I was like, oh, if I don't speak up, like if I do not, my voice 
has so much power because yeah. I'm a white woman. Oh, that's it. I have so much power. And if I don't use that, then I'm doing all of my friends, uh, my black, brown friends, a disservice. Yeah, well, see, totally. my, my, uh, my wife is white. And we mm-hmm. actually had a show in the Fringe Festival a couple of years ago called My White Wife or So I Married a Black mm-hmm. Man. And mm-hmm. we talked about how through our relationship, we, we understood the importance of there were times where she had to speak up on our behalf because realizing yeah. that until some white people hear it from a white person, they're not moved. Because, you know, it's like we live in a country where unabated, we all are going to basically perpetuate white supremacy. Like my daughter, I'm, I'm so excited that her white grandmother and white aunt bought her Barbie dolls, mm. black Barbie dolls with hair, with bush balls oh. and, and afros that look closer to her hair than oh, the awesome. other Barbies. And it's like mm-hmm. this, you know, the whole idea that you don't, you know, that's not grasping that when white, when black people, basically understanding and accepting the lived experiences of black people and not coming up with excuses and reasons of why what black people are saying isn't true. Like, well, if you did mm-hmm. this or it, it's like, you know, people are even talking about the, the guy in Atlanta who just got sh- killed by cops. Well, if he wasn't fighting back, well, if he would have just let himself get arrested, but there's also there's a video out here of a guy, a white guy, who fought the cops, who took actually stole their car and drove off in the police car. And they finally apprehended him and arrested him without killing him. You oh know? gosh. It's like, you know, and this is, you know, it's like this guy falls asleep in a Wendy's parking lot because he was drunk. Uh and he winds up dead. <laughs> but Dylan Roof goes to a church and kills nine black people, and he gets yeah. taken to Burger King <laughs> one, you know, when after they arrest him. It's like it's one person dies in a in a in a drive-thru for trying to get a burger, and another person gets taken out to have a burger on his way to getting arrested. It's like, you know, it's like how is it that you can't see that? It's like a large part of it is people don't want to see it. They don't want to see you it. Know, it's they like, don't want to see it. it no. if, and it's, it's that whole thing of the fear. Of, it's a couple of fears. There's the fear of if black folks ever get into power, they're going to do to us what we've done to them. The other fear is if black people get more opportunities, that's less opportunities for me. It's like when Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, there were all these guys who just barely made the team who were upset that they were going to lose their job. And it's like, first of all, Jackie Robinson is not taking the last spot on the team. Back then, no black player, and I mean still today in baseball, it's not a lot of black players who are not stars and starters it's like Mm -hmm. to be the black player you had to be the star you know it was it wasn't like hey here's uh jackie robinson he plays a little bit of second base and shortstop he can come in and play about 50 games for you and give you star Mm -hmm. rest no jackie robinson had to bat he batted 310 lifetime while getting balls thrown at him, while people trying to spike him. And it's like, and all of those early black stars like Willie Mays and Frank Robinson and Hank Aaron, the statistics bear it out that they were getting thrown at way more than people like Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle and their white contemporaries. There was a certain Mm -hmm. level of respect. You don't throw at Mickey, but it's like, you know, you're trying to, baseball can kill you you know it's like you're like and they didn't even have batting helmets back then it's like they were throwing up these guys and these guys still went on to change the record books and so it's like this fear that you're going to be replaced like because that's one of the things you will not replace us but this fear of being replaced but not even acknowledging the fact that the black people who are getting the opportunities they aren't the bottom of the barrel yeah, <laughs> it's like that's why whenever you do have the few black people that are a part of something, they're 
they're arguably the best or or near the top of whatever field they're in. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I, I see it in the comedy world. It's like it's so hard to get on at the comedy clubs if you're the black guy. So by the time mm-hmm. you get on, you're you're way better because you have to be. And that's mm-hmm. why at any given time in comedy, the best person doing it is a black guy. And it's because we we're swimming with, with rocks in our pockets, you know? So Yeah, and I think Rick too, like one of the things that I that you talked about is that fear of being replaced. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is what we are seeing like so profoundly right now. Mm-hmm. And you know, I grew up in Mississippi and um I remember one of my very first memories of being like a kid at the dentist. So I was probably three, three and a half Mm -hmm. and going to the dentist with my mom. And there was two doors to the dentist office. Oh my goodness. And I said to my mom, I was like, what's that other door for? Why? And she was like, well, that was back, you know, during the sixties when um, black people had to wait in one room and the white people waited in the other. And at the time, as a three-year-old, I was like, that is like the stupidest thing I've ever heard, <laughs> right? You know? Yeah. And so <laughs> then my, you know, I think about it and mm. I'm like, all right, because our parents and or my parents mm. are that, you know, they're, they're going to be 70. They're that baby boomer. Right. And I think that what happened is with, in their generation, they grew up mm. with separate but equal. That was the idea. Right. And then when schools were integrated, they were a part of all of that. And it was then equal, but it still was separate because people still went to church in different churches. People still like socialized mostly with people of their own color, both black and white. And I think now what we're seeing is our generation we just are asking, and our generation and the generation that's coming that we're raising mm-hmm. want equal. Mm-hmm. And that scares people yeah. that grew up mm-hmm. with that concept of separate but equal. Because yeah. to your point, it's that fear yeah. of like, oh, if it's equal, then there's not going to be enough. Right. And the and one of the other things that has to, you know, it's like, and on top of us all being together, it's, it's the reason that all of these industries have to change is because I want my children to be able to open a magazine and not get to like 500, you know, 50 pages into the magazine before seeing a person that looks like them or yeah. every advertisement. You know, it's like these these send little messages like mm-hmm. when I'm watching the cartoons that my kids are watching and I'm very aware of, you know what, I, I'm, we got to change the channel because um, we got to find Doc McStuffins because mm-hmm. it's like PJ Masks, for example. My daughter loves PJ Masks and every, every last character in PJ Masks is white. And it's like it just sends a little message. Now, they never these kids never say we don't like black people. We don't hang with black, black people. But what does she see? And it's like, it's also like, okay, these kids have be- can become superheroes. And if you don't see someone that looks like you becoming a superhero, the message that's being sent to you, even though it's never being said, is that white kids are super and you're not. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, you know, or like when you decide to create diversity, you know, so you do, do like, a, like I, you know, once again, the cartoon example where you have like this group of kids and you throw in the black kid and you throw in an Asian kid and a Latino kid or whatever. But then the white kids are the leaders of the group. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's it's so it all comes back to it's work to be done. And mm-hmm. the people who are, you know, are who have the power. Having the fear of giving up that power, and that, the the thing that's that's sad about it all is that power is never given up, given up; it has to be taken, and that's what we're d- looking at with the protests, you know. And it's mm-hmm. like you know, like and and like people always want to come back with, well, there, you know, what about the good cops? And it's like if the system is such that we have to search for the good cops, is something wrong with the system? And that's why it's like you know, people keep talking about all the things that cops do. And it's like, if you really examine the experience of cops, 
all these things that are being trumpeted as what they're doing is protecting and serving and all stopping the bad guys. It's such a small percentage of what they do. And the way that they are trained and brought into the system to, to, to expect and treat the citizens like their enemies mm-hmm. is is a large part of the problem. And I say this as a person whose brother is a retired state trooper in Maryland who upon yeah. retiring actually worked for Baltimore city police teaching combat. The fact that mm. we're teaching combat yet we don't teach them how to deal with mentally ill people. The fact that it yeah. takes what, how many, what a couple of months in a police Academy. And now you're expected to do the job of social workers and psychologists mm-hmm. And, you know, on top of all, you know, all these things, every, everything that happens, we call the police for for it. And they're they're not qualified for most of the things we ask them to do. And, they, and the mental health of themselves, too. Oh yeah. I think that's another piece like that. We're we're not giving them the resources to be able to take care of themselves. So they keep themselves in the right space mentally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing about it is that. um there are there are ideas that are that are passed around amongst police about you know even the fact that if they're called to deal with you that there that there's something wrong with you and these are things that i mean i've read in articles by former policemen these are things that i've heard my brother say to me as a retired cop I remember times of him telling me how to conduct myself and things to expect when dealing with cops because he knows cops. And Mm -hmm. he's even expressed that as a black cop and a black former cop, that he's afraid when he gets pulled over by a white cop Mm. uh, uh, because he's like he doesn't know what could happen to him between the time they come to his car and he has time to show them or prove to them that he, too, is a cop. Yeah. And if if that's something that you fear as a black cop, what what you know, what what should I expect as mm-hmm. as a person who isn't a cop? So it's it's like this whole idea that when we're talking about defund the police and uh, it, it reminds me of how people have treated the whole kneeling during the national anthem. It's like mm-hmm. he explained why he was kneeling. He chose kneeling after speaking with someone in the military so he could come up with a gesture that wasn't disrespectful to the flag and to the soldiers. And even with that being explained, people have decided to stick with the narrative that he's anti-police and anti-flag and anti-military. And same thing with defund the police. We're like saying, hey, defund the police means (laughs) take away funds, defund. Instead of giving all this money to police, and giving them money so they can buy military equipment. So, you know, because it's like, that's not protecting and serving. That's like, that's uh, preparing for war against the citizens. And it's like, mm-hmm. we're saying, take the money, all this money that you're giving to them, and let's spread it around to other areas so that, hey, instead of expecting police to be the persons to show up with someone who, who, is, uh, who has a mental issue is going off, Instead of sending them, maybe we'll send some people who are actually qualified in those areas and also mm-hmm. building up areas so that we create communities where there's no people don't join gangs just for the hell of it. They join gangs because of a deficiency in their community that creates an appeal to be a part of something like a gang. And if the, if some of this money is going to programs to help that community, then these other things go down. Mm-hmm. So it's, and it's yeah. almost too like how you recruit like people that are police officers. Cause just like what you just said, I thought, mm. I think it was like, well, wouldn't it make sense to have people that have psychology degrees or social work backgrounds to, to have those, you know, folks that have that understanding, mm-hmm. um, have to, to seek out those, those people yeah. well, to be a part, you know, of, because so much of it is just so much of what they get involved with, to your point, is just human beings not being able to figure it out and yeah. get along. Well, that's, yeah, well, you know, well, uh, well, the policing systems in in a lot of other countries have greater requirements for b- 
becoming a police officer. You have mm-hmm. to you have to go to school for years to become a police officer. And it's like uh, there are degree requirements and 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 other academic requirements. It's been determined that in our country, we actually turn away people who are too smart to be yes. cops. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it, and just think about it. If you were bullied, if you are a person who wants to get back, if you're a person who wants to be able to, uh, inflict harm on people without ever having to go to jail or pay for it and knowing that you have a group of people that will back you no matter what you do and you got a union that will back you no matter what you do and if you do wrong it does not affect your money who is that going to attract it's going to attract people that want to abuse people, people who, mm-hmm. who want to be combative, people who want to do stuff and get away with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hear so many stories of people like I, I had to stop being a cop or I had to decide that I was just going to do my t- basically they talk about it like being in prison. I'm going to do my time so I can get my pension, you know, and it's like the good people. Because that's the thing. It, it, there are good people who are cops, but the question is, are there good cops? <laughs> you know, because the good people who are cops either wind up quitting or they just go along to get along. So it's mm-hmm. like them, at you know, so, you know, as people, you can argue that, hey, this is a good person. But when it comes to being a cop, if you're not standing up against bad behavior within your system and, you know, if you decide that you should, you're going to be silent or when you see that someone is, is tampering with evidence or, or, you know, taking some of the drug money or some of the drugs and selling the drugs. And, you know, if, if you stand by while someone's sitting on someone's neck, it's like, it's hard for me to say you're a good cop. Even Mm -hmm. if, even if, if every moment up until that in your life, you've never done something where someone would say, Oh, he's a bad person. It's like you're a part of a system that's bad. Yeah, and I think that we owe them more as a gov. Like, are they? We owe them more training. We owe them more like resources from a ability to do their job. And I think that they owe us more in the respect of they've. It's to your point. They've got to kind of like acknowledge that hey, things are broken right now, and we need to all all were yeah. towards fixing it. Well, you know, I, I made a tweet the other, uh, the other day that I posted. Um, and I was talking about America. America has a history and a responsibility issue. Even when faced with evidence of wrongdoing in our history, we refuse to take responsibility for those wrongdoings and we, re- and we refuse to correct them. You know, it's like <laughs> we look at, a system like the like the police and we see all the things that are that are wrong with it and we're like well let's throw some money into some training and it's like you you're not getting rid of any of the people who have done the you you think that some of these actions that some of these people who've already done them can just be fixed by hey let's take a class hey you shouldn't beat people with a stick right. just because they didn't kowtow when you showed up. Oh, I thought I could beat yeah. people with a stick. Okay. I'll never beat someone with a stick again. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. It's like and we're yeah. being stupid and naive to think we're going to make a, a monumental change with this system if we keep all of the people who are already in it intact. So yeah. it's like, but mm-hmm. it's like, it's the same thing with the whole Trump impeachment. It's like what it would mean for a sitting president to be ousted. We're so concerned about how that looks to other countries, how that looks to mm. the people within our country. What's going to happen with our country? It's going to be another civil war. It's like we're so concerned about all these things. We're like, well, let's not fix it. Let's just, uh, okay. Um, you know, so, you know. <laughs> 
the people. Who- I'm like, yeah. what it looks like to other countries. What does it look like to other countries that we kept him? <laughs> That's what I'm. Well, I mean, but obviously, <laughs> obviously, to the people who are are sticking with, like you know, the Republican Party. It's like it's, some of them are like really the the fact that you could continue to you know because it seems like a few people are like you know. Their their conscience must be really like Mitt Romney's conscience must be really hitting them right about now because he's like, it's like saying sorry I gotta I gotta stand up for a few things you know but it's like not enough I mean like Mitch McConnell that guy seems like he has no soul obviously Lindsey Graham he he it's pretty obvious he's been compromised and with, the, with some of the other information that's coming out about him. It's a very good, very good possibility. We know what type of uh, ways he's been compromised, but it's like mm-hmm. when people like Ted Cruz, like you have video footage and quotations from him <laughs> saying all these things against Trump, and then you have another video from now where he's saying all these wonderful things about him. It's like, dude, mm-hmm. then on top of it. Didn't didn't Trump say something about his wife? <laughs> I'm like I'm just saying because I remember this. I said this to said this to my wife. I was like, look, I uh, I'm like I don't understand how a man is going to sit up there. It's like going to sit up there and I got to live with you, <laughs> my <laughs> wife, and I'm going. <laughs> What, where am I going to live after I decide after he says some some sideways shit about my wife and I'm going to continue to back him? It's like, no, there's some things. I'm sorry how it might sound or how it might look, but if there's some things that if you do that, you have just you ask you're you're asking for some type of fight. And when you touch on a person's family and loved ones, that's one of them. And it's like, so it's, it's really a hard one for me to, to, to just take in when these men have done this, you know, total change for this guy who's obviously incompetent. And it's like all for the sake of keeping power, obviously. And so it's like, it's you know I don't know it's it's the the one percent has always used the poor to do their do their bidding, and one of the one of the ways that white supremacy has always worked is that the rich going back to the slave owners, uh, when they realize that hey let's these poor whites because they used to treat poor whites like they treated poor blacks and, and slaves, then they realize that wait a minute. Um, we got, we're starting to get so many slaves till if the, if the slaves and the whites combine, they can definitely overpower us. Mm-hmm. Here's what we'll do. We'll give whiteness power. So even though they're poor, they're better than these blacks. Yeah. And so now, you know, that, that created the break between poor whites and blacks because it's like they were happy to be above someone. You know, let them be an overseer. Let them be the guys mm-hmm. who keep my slaves in line and give them power to go be slave catchers. That's like that's and that's what police were started from. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the found that gets comes back to the foundation of it all. So it's a lot. <laughs> Obviously, a lot to. Unpack. It's a lot. It's a lot. But thank you so much for for going there with us and for and for. And for giving some giving some education, I know we we uh, we have a we're not exactly sure who our audience is. We're we're trying to figure that out. We thought it was just our moms, but some of our aunts are also listening, and some of our friends are listening. So thank you for thank you for talking to our mothers and our aunts and our friends. Well, now and Tyler Perry and Kevin Hart and, right, right, right. Yeah. and Tracy Morgan. I mean, this demographic that we're putting together with, with Tyler Perry, Tracy Morgan, Kevin Hart, uh, older white women and young white women. <laughs> Yeah, and if, I, you I, want, I, if you want black men to come along, just make sure there's some white women in it. You know, so it's like so. Pretty soon, the guys will be here. We had the black guys, and if there's black guys and white women, there's going to be white guys to show up to try to <laughs> police the situation. Which brings us back to the police. So then the police are coming. Oh man, this, this show is about to blow up. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let me. I, I'm glad I'm getting my hair done on Monday because I'm getting going back to get a haircut finally. So I'll be ready to introduce myself to these gentlemen callers. Gentlemen callers. Make sure they're gentlemen, though. <laughs> gentlemen no rascals callers. or rap scallions allowed. Exactly. No rascals, no rascallions. <laughs> but I, I just think. Um, I just think that it's so important for people to be having these conversations. And I know that for a lot of people, it's uncomfortable to have these conversations, but the more that it's uncomfortable, the more you should just power through, have these conversations, learn some things. There's so much that there's so much that as, as white people, we, we don't know. And I think that it's, there's nothing wrong with having ignorance in the past, especially if you're able to have open ears, listen, talk when you're confused about something or not sure about something, Google it. The number one resource should not be asking a black person. It should be Googling it. But if you're in a conversation (laughs) with a black person, I mean, you know, you can, you can talk about it while you're having a conversation. But I know, I know a couple months ago, I asked one of my girlfriends, I put a wrap in my hair Mm. and I sent it to one of my girlfriends. I was like, I can't pull this off, huh? She's like, no. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm kind of terrible for even sending this to you. I just Googled it. And she was like, Ashley, no, you can't pull it off. Well, you know, you, you, you. you should know if you're close enough to a black person to have these conversations. But yeah. if you do have the conversations, try well, not try, do. Get yeah. out of get out of your feelings. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. feelings are going to be hurt, white people, if you have these conversations because you're gonna find out that everything isn't about you, and you're gonna mm-hmm. find yeah. out that um there are things about the black people that you know that you never knew or thought about because you mm-hmm. didn't have to. Yeah. Oh when, man, that's great. That's but, really great. But when but when it's when it's when it's told to you, don't mm-hmm. try to correct the black person. Don't try to explain to them why it's not racism they experience. Because I'm gonna tell mm-hmm. you, because and I actually have it in my stand-up. We have black spidey senses. It's like that innate ability to know when something is racial. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of times you can't prove it because when you say it, it's like people will come up with all the reasons why it's not racial. Mm. But it's like, listen to black people when they tell you about, no, that the, you are saying it's because that person is an asshole. But their asshole behavior is based upon what they have been fed. And if they got it from America... It's it's probably steeped in in some type of white supremacy, some way, somehow. The thing is, is that mm-hmm. there are things within our culture that are racist that we don't even realize anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'll give you a couple. The word motherfucker is from during slavery. Another way to demoralize black people during slavery was that the master would take a black male, you know, obviously it was black, take a male slave and send him into uh, like a dark shack or whatever where he couldn't see who was in there. But it was like he knew it was a woman in there and he was he was sent in there to have sex with her, which, you know, of course, making it seem like I'm doing something nice for you and send him in to have sex, which he would do and then pull him and the woman out and it would be his mother. Oh, and it was, oh. and, 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 and it's like, see, look at you. you. You're no good motherfucker. And it's like, motherfucker is like one of my favorite curse words. You know, it's like, so like every time I say it, I'm not thinking about that. But every once in a while, because I know that and I didn't know it all along, every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, picnic. Picnic was uh, they would have these uh, gatherings to sell and buy slaves. And mm-hmm. picnic is what came from the term pick a nigger. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, there's some black folks that will not use the term picnic. They'll say cookout. They'll say barbecue. Oh, wow. And it's like, you know, so some of it, it's like it's become so much a part of the culture 
So it's it okay. Maybe it's lost some of its, but the origin itself is based on. And it's like that is so deeply immersed in our culture. So it's like you know, some of it. It's like it's so much. To you, just have to pick and choose what your um, what your what what your position is going to be on, and which things you're going to be like. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this because it's a lot. It's like you know, like for me. Right now, all of the streaming, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, they all have the Black Lives Matter uh, material. Mm -hmm. And as I look at it, it's one documentary after another of some some awful traumatic experience for black people. Another biopic Mm -hmm. about something that's and I'm and I have decided that, look, I I want I watch. um, Obviously, I watch black created content. But I am I can't watch any more content that's going to re-traumatize me. Yeah. Like yeah, the, yeah. I have yet to watch when they see us. I know it's a it's great. Oh, it's won all kinds of awards. But I'm about the age of the guys who yeah. are part of Central Park Five. And mm-hmm. I remember when it was going on. And so it's like for me to watch that is just to is going to put me in a place that's not going to be helpful for my anxiety yeah. and my, what other, whatever other stuff I got, I got medication for, you know, it's like, <laughs> so, um, it's like for some, uh, and that's see, and it, see this also, I mean, cause obviously we could talk about this forever. This also brings up other things. It's like as black parents, we have things that we have to think about and consider in our parenting of our children that white parents never have to think about like mm-hmm. at what point do I sit my kids down and make them watch when they see us yeah. just so they know that hey this could happen to you don't think because your mother mm-hmm. is white or half your family is white or because you are in a place right now where everybody looks different and people are accepting that if you go across the bridge or go down yeah. and visit your par- grandparents in Oklahoma or go to Baltimore uh that things won't be different in, in places where people aren't as, as open and accepting to you. And also mm-hmm. the fact that because you're biracial in America, you're black, you know, cause it's yeah. like, nobody's like saying, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to treat you half nice or we're not going to, you know, or like my son who is 11 years old now who has ADHD and autism. So mm-hmm. he doesn't always respond immediately when you tell him what to do, uh, he doesn't always yeah. stop when you say stop. And if you're a stranger, and he doesn't know you and you start talking to him. He might just keep on walking. Right. So those concerns and fears that are a part of it, like knowing that at some point you're going to have to explain to your kid why they were called a nigger. Yep. You know, I remember first time I was called that I was seven. Well, first time I was called that by a white person was I was seven years old. And the thing that's you that was I was thinking about it this morning. The thing about it is that growing up in Baltimore, which is more than 50 percent black, I heard the word all the time. But I always heard it with laughter and glee mm-hmm. and kind of like, you know, picking on each other, jabbing, whatever. This time I heard it. And nobody had to tell me that this was different than the other times I'd heard it. I knew instinctively to go to my mother and tell her that little boy called me a nigger. Mm -hmm. And when I think about it, once I got older and I had to think about it, because like I just I was like because I I remember growing up and just and remembering it and thinking and my mother just said, well, you don't play with him anymore. Mm -hmm. But when I got older to think about the the mental and psychological burden of having that moment of oh yeah here we go I was wondering when I was going to have to explain to my son about this and then realizing that man that is every black parent's concern and that's a an emotional and psychological burden that we carry with us and we also carry it with us every time our kids go out the door or like when I'm thinking about at school, when things happen, as far as I get called to the school for things and I'm like, why is this happening repeatedly to my black child? I have, to, you know, and it's like, 
And then, you know, I'm I'm not one who's afraid to say, hey, I don't know if y'all read the studies, but uh, black children get disciplined way more for the same things that white kids do. (laughs) And um, I've got my eye on y'all. And, you know, mm-hmm. that moment where you realize that they're now you're getting looked at like the angry black person. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, yeah. yeah. <sighs> I almost think we could do a whole episode just on that. Yeah. And honestly, like the experience of being a like a biracial, having biracial children, because I think that that's definitely I know we talked about it some. Yeah. But I think that that is something that's it, it's different right because you have um you know your wife is a white woman advocating for her her black biracial children half white half black yeah and it's it's like never been a black woman yeah. before and i think that's hard well one of the things is that um you know i give it up to her because of the fact that she accepts that She's like, I know my children are half me and half you, but I know that the world will look at them as black children. She's been in situations where when it was time to to find a school for Rory, um, because, you know, obviously you go places by yourself without your kids and Mm -hmm. having white mothers explain to her how she can go about making sure her kids aren't in the schools with the kids that actually look like her kids, but they aren't aware that her kids, you know, and it's all veiled language. It's all Mm. said in a way where they think that they're helping because it's not that they have a problem with the children. It's a fact that they realize that the the schools, those children go to don't get the funding and don't get Mm -hmm. all of the resources. But that right there is one of those things where it's like, you know, you wouldn't want it for you yet you're totally fine with it happening for them. It's like, Hey, that's just the way it is. I can't, I gotta be, I gotta worry about my child. And that's the whole, it takes a village type of scenario where it's like, Hey, we've got to be like, Hey, I can't sit up here and be happy that it, at least it's not happening to me. And at least it's not happening to my kids. And so Mm -hmm, like, you know, just her understanding that she has to, use her privilege to, okay, I'm going to use your information to make sure that I get my black kid into the schools that you're trying to, uh, to, you're trying to not have him in, whether you actively say it or you just actively steer your kids away from the schools that you think he should be in. So it's like, you know, those are the types of things where, you know, just realizing that in a situation where you have, (laughs) have a white parent, figuring out how to use the privilege of the white parent <laughs> to, to better the situation. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also just, just also um, be a voice for y- your, your black kids. And also to be a voice to let white folks know, ah, Hey, this is what you're doing, whether your intention is awful. And that, which yeah. brings us back to that whole idea of intention and a whole idea of, you know, I'm not a racist cause I'm not a bad person. You're, it's like if you're perpetuating, you know, I think it, it's like we have a, such a problem with the term racist and we think that racists are, are wearing overalls with no shirt and no shoes with a mm-hmm. with a corn cob pipe and a straw hat carrying a shotgun or from a certain place right. it's, like, mm-hmm. it's like, like it's like oh well this this area is racist yeah and it's like yeah. unless it looks like that and it uses words that are, you know, that are specifically used by racists. And if they're not burning crosses, then I'm not a racist. And it's like, no, the thing is, is that racism isn't about those things. And it's not. And, and you can perpetuate the white supremacy of racism without having the intention of doing it. And it's like mm-hmm. I always liken it to this. Like if I'm holding a knife and you run into me and get stabbed. It's like, I can't be like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't intend to stab you at that point. I need to deal with the fact that you have been stabbed. Uh, do something about the wound, call some help, get you to a doctor, get your stab wound treated, or you're going to die. And it's like, we think about all of the, the, the intention or lack of intention. And it's like, 
it still has the same effect. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can't worry about the intention. You got to deal with the actual event and the effect of it. Yep. I know we were supposed to be talking about Broadway, but uh, <laughs> no, this is great. Well, this I is great. That, I think we did, didn't we? I thought <laughs> yeah, we, we got on Broadway a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Listen, yeah. Um, you know, and I know we are probably getting close to our time, but I just wanted to say, um, Rick, Happy Father's Day. Thank um, you. Weekend. Happy Father's Day, Rick. Yes. Hopefully, yes. Um, maybe that means that you get a day free of the kids and can. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to, but they're, they're, they're not going to give it to me till next week. I'm going to actually get a, a day off or two next week. I'm going to have to actually see my kids on Father's Day. So, just <laughs> hoping that they give me something nice at least. I'm sure. It sounds like they'll be doing so, um, some performances and doing all kinds of fun stuff for you. So, that'll be. <laughs> Rick, where can people find you on social uh, media? Where are you at? Um, I'm at Rick Younger on Twitter, Instagram, Periscope, Snapchat, YouTube.com slash Rick Younger, YouTube.com slash The Rick Younger Show, Facebook.com slash Rick Younger Page, uh, or Google me. I'm the first six to 12 pages of Rick Younger on Google. And as always, we'll have a link for Rick. So all you have to do is just click those links so you can find him, follow him. Rick, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. We really, really, really appreciate it. Um, it's it's always such a pleasure. Anytime, I swear, anytime I'm on Facebook, um, you pop up and it's it's just you cooking. I never see the kids. Um, I believe that they're there. It's just yeah. every time. It's just it's just you, and I swear it's an egg. It's you with an egg. You yeah. cook an egg. And, I mean, um, and it's always such a pleasure, and I'm just so happy that we got to spend some time with you. And again, thanks for, thanks for talking about some uncomfortable topics, but just... Thanks for thanks for making it feel comfortable. I know it felt comfortable for me, um, and I'm just I'm happy I'm happy you were here. Thank well, you. thanks for having me. I had a great time, and you know I love to talk about these things. So I mean, somebody's got to talk about them. It's like like mm-hmm. you said, Google is there, but if you get a yeah. chance to talk to a black person who's willing to talk to you, go ahead yeah. and talk and listen. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, hopefully we can see you again. Hopefully you'll come back to the show. I will. You just let me know. Awesome. Thank awesome. you so much, Rick. Ashley, guess what? What? I love you. Girl, I love you too. Thanks for uh thanks for coming back, Laura. I've missed you. We haven't been able to do the show without you. We can talk about that on our next podcast. All right. Where I've been. Everybody, we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one.